Sarah's Bookshelves Live. I'm Sarah of Sarah's Bookshelves. Each week, I talk with a bookish guest about two old books they love, two new books they love, one book they do not love, and one new release they're excited about. We're going to get real and sometimes a bit snarky about all things books. If you like the show, I'd love it if you follow the show in your podcast player, spread the word to your reader friends, post about it on your social media, or support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sarah's Bookshelves. Supporting the show on Patreon gets you access to bonus podcast episodes and lots of other goodies. There's also a link in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. Let's get rolling. Welcome to the 2023 year-end genre awards special and the last big show episode of the year. Susie is here today to talk through the year in books with me. Hi, Susie. Hi, Sarah. This is the most exciting episode to do all year. It is, and it also gets the most downloads, as we'll talk about later. We are going to share Susie's and my picks for each of our genre awards, and we surveyed our Sarah's Bookshelves Live Patreon community for their picks for each of these genre awards. So we're going to share those results today as well. And Susie is going in blind to the patron picks for these categories, so she can kind of take some guesses. And looking at these categories ahead of time, I'm I'm thinking about, I'm like, man, some of these are hard. Yes. I mean, I know the results, and there are some of these that I would not have guessed. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. One quick reminder, y'all, before we get started, my 2024 reading tracker is now available to Superstars patrons only. It is not available for independent purchase on my website. And this is an Excel spreadsheet that tracks the books you've read and DNF'd and automatically calculates all kinds of nerdy stats about them. There is a link to join my Patreon community to get the spreadsheet in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. So suffice it to say, there's lots to talk about today. So we're going to get right into it. We are going to first cover our reflections on 2023 for the podcast and talk about some things that are going to be coming for 2024. Then we're going to do an overview of Susie and I's reading years from a stats perspective and kind of overall trends. And then we're going to get into our favorite books by genre. So starting off with podcast reflections, over the past five years, I feel like the independent book media and specifically book podcasting space has become incredibly saturated There are lots of people out there creating content that feels very similar to everything else out there. I want to bring you a show that's not like every other show out there. So we are always trying to figure out how to evolve to keep things fresh while also retaining the key elements that you love about the show and that we like producing. I do think that's important that we like producing the content that we're producing. Otherwise, we will get burned out. So... In 2023, I got to a bit of a tipping point with the big show. And I felt this in small snippets over the past few years, but the snippets started getting more and more frequent this year. And this relates to author interviews. They have gotten harder for me to do the longer I've been doing them. That's surprising. It is surprising, isn't it? (laughs) It seems like it would be kind of, you know, you'd have a pattern and it would just flow smoothly. Well, it could be that way. But I also don't want to be repeating content all the time. So I don't want to get into a pattern with my author interviews. And that's one of the things that I've been struggling with is 
how to find fresh angles and unique elements of each book that we're going to talk about with the author that we haven't covered before. So here's an example. This year, I interviewed the author of Reef Road, the author of I Have Some Questions for You, and the author of All That Is Mine I Carry With Me. All of these are crime fiction, and all of them in some way dealt with society's fascination with the true crime genre. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I can't have any more authors like that on because we have really covered this topic. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So I don't want to get to the point where I feel like I'm mailing in these types of episodes or booking guests that I'm not truly inspired to talk to just to fill slots. And there are a good number of other author interview podcasts out there, plus Jenna Bush Hager of Read With Jenna just announced that she is starting one. She may have already started it. I think it has already started. It might have. I mean, she announced it maybe one or two months ago that she was going to start an author interview podcast. So there's that. Finally, and this is unfortunate, but I think it's just the nature of the beast, author interviews, even the biggest name authors I have on consistently get the lowest download numbers of any type of episode that we do, which makes sense because I know from survey results that people tend to listen to author interviews either because they've already read the book or because they've already heard about the book and they know they are interested in reading it. So you've kind of shrunk your audience before you even start with an author interview. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me because if it's a book you're not interested in or a book you didn't like, you're just going to skip the episode. Right. Or a book you've never heard of. Right. There's very few people, I think, that listen to every author interview regardless of whether they've heard of that author or not. So this is kind of the backdrop for some changes I'm going to be making to the big show in 2024. I just wanted to give you the context for that. So in 2024... I'm going to be changing the mix of episodes we do for the big show by reducing the number of slots available for author interviews. I'm not going to be eliminating them entirely because there are books that I'm really excited to talk to the author and there is a fresh new angle, but I don't want the pressure of having an interview slot open and then not having a book that's jumping at me at that point in time. That's a huge anxiety I have. So I'm going to be reducing the number of author interview episodes. Do not worry. They're not going away entirely. But we obviously need to replace those episodes with something else, right? Right. So we are going to be adding some more episodes with you, Susie, and Catherine, and a couple episodes where all three of us are going to be on together. And y'all have constantly told me in survey results that you want more of this stuff. So we have a couple episodes planned already for 2024 that fit this bill. And then we might be seeing some more as the year goes on. Number one, we're going to be adding a best books of the year so far episode that'll come in the middle of the year. And that will be with all three of us. I have resisted this kind of episode in the past because it's not that unique. Lots of people do it, but y'all keep asking for it in the survey results and it will be fun to record. Yeah. And it will be fun too, to look back at the year, like at the end of the year on what we said at mid-year and see if kind of it still holds, right? Yeah. I think it'll be really fun to do. We are also going to be doing a circle back episode for the micro genres special that you and I do. So once a year, we will revisit the micro genres we shared the previous year, and we will talk about how they're working for us a year later, and we will share any new books that we have read in our chosen micro genres. And I've already read a bunch of new books that fall in micro genres that I talked about with you this summer. So 
I'm in good shape there. Okay. Well, I've read some. And you got a lot of time to read more. (laughs) Exactly. And y'all already are aware of our annual State of the Industry episode with Sarah Landis. That one just aired, and that will be an annual thing that comes at the end of the year. There's one more episode that I'm not going to share at this point that I'm possibly thinking about doing, but because I'm not quite sure about it, I don't want to share it now. But stay tuned for that in 2024. That's right. Our heads are together. Exactly. One last thing on our podcast reflections of the year. Our favorite episodes. We're going to do this a couple ways. First of all, I'm going to share the top episodes by downloads. And they were all special episodes, meaning ones with you and I, with Catherine, that kind of stuff. So number one, 2022 Genre Awards. And I'm including that because that obviously did not get to be included in last year's count. Number two, Fall Book Preview with Catherine. Number three, Summer Reading Special with Susie. Number four, The Best Backlist Books We Read in 2022. And that's an annual episode that comes every January, and you'll be getting that again this January. And number four, 2022 Year-End Superlatives episode. None of that is surprising to me. No. Now, I did want to look at our top-performing regular episodes by download. That means one where I have a guest on. So number one, Angie Kim, author interview. And this is the one outlier of author interviews that has outperformed other things. (laughs) Number two, Fantasy and Speculative Fiction 101 with Sarah Landis. Number three, Behind the Scenes of Book Coaching with Abigail K. Perry. Number four, Rebecca Mackay, author interview. And number five, Katie Gutierrez, author interview. And my personal favorites, Fantasy and Speculative Fiction with Sarah Landis. Also one of my personal favorites because so much unexpected stuff happened in that episode that it spawned a new recurring episode, the State of the Industry episode. And the State of the Industry episode was also one of my favorites. I love going behind the scenes of the book industry and Sarah is awesome at doing that with Laura Love Harden, because she was so candid and basically interviewed herself, she would answer one question and roll into my next question without me even asking it. It was kind of funny. (laughs) And you liked the questions she was asking herself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they were like questions I had for her too. (laughs) She didn't do that with every question, but she was wonderful. And generally, the more candid an author is, the more I love the episode. John Mars, also very candid. Great chemistry. People messaged me after my episode with him and said that he should be a regular co-host. I also loved that he interviewed me a little bit. He's a journalist, and he said he had some questions for me, and that was really fun. Yeah. And Liz Nugent, author of Strange Sally Diamond, she was also incredibly candid and insightful, and I thought she was very funny. I love her wit. Yeah. Do you have any favorite episodes of the year that are different from these? Well, I mean, I always like the preview episodes to see if there's anything that I've missed, you know, in my own hunting for books. So the preview episodes are always fun for me. I mean, besides the one you've talked about, you've talked about a lot of the ones I really liked. I loved the Fantasy 101. I loved the episode with Rebecca Mackay and Liz Nugent. I enjoy doing the Summer Reading Guide. All right. Let's talk about trends in our personal reading for this year. Susie. What big trends did you see in your own reading in 2023? 2023, I think, was an interesting year. I know there was a lot of talk. There's been a lot of talk about it, like, not being a great year for books. And I do feel like there were fewer standout books this year compared with 
2022. But I also think that 2022 was an unusually good year for books. So I think it's a high bar to reach. I agree. Some of the top books of 2022, they are so singular. You can't think of a read-alike for them. I'm still recommending them to so many people. There are not a ton of books in 2023 that I feel that way about. Right. In fact, I was thinking like, I bet I could tick off most of my five-star books from 2022 right now, but I don't think a year from now I'll be able to tick off my top other than a couple of them from 2023. But all that being said, I still feel like I personally had a decent reading year. I still have 21 books that I'm trying to decide between for my top 10, and I've already eliminated like five or six. Wow. And when I'm considering for the top 10, I'm looking at five and 4.5 star books. So I had a lot of those, but I also had a lot of more mediocre books this year, you know, kind of 3.5 stars, you know, just barely making it to something that counts as a successful book. And my top reads are kind of a jumble. And I also feel like I'm questioning myself more than usual. (laughs) So, which is, you know, a theme with me now. But my most unusual trend this year for me is that my historical fiction reading has really grown. And that is something, historical fiction is something I've kind of shied away from in the past because I was sort of burnt out on it. But I feel like this year I've really gotten a handle on what I like in historical fiction. And I really specifically like that sweet spot of mid 20th century books which I've been loving, books like Atomic Family, Go as a River, The River We Remember, The Caretaker, All You Have to Do is Call. So lots of books in that area, and they always seem to work for me. I've also tried to go out on a limb a little bit more this year than I would have in the past, reading books that I might not have considered before. No Two Persons, One Woman Show, and Big Swiss are all examples, and those were all really successful books for me. But My comfort zone is still literary fiction with good character-driven stories. (laughs) So how about you, Sarah? What have been your trends? I agree about the number of best books of the year. I have a lot of them this year. I think I'm at 12 right now, and I might keep it at 12. But within that 12, the standouts are not as standout as my 2022 standouts, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that because in my long list, which I'm trying to decide from, I picked six immediately. And those six, I'm just rock solid on those six. And now it's trying to fill in the other ones where it feels so tied and jumbled. And part of me has thought, maybe I'm only going to do six this year. I don't think that's a bad idea. I do think it's actually harder to choose when you have more books that are slightly less exciting. Yeah. You've got your standouts. You know what they're going to be. Like last year, I knew. (laughs) So I think I'm like lumping a lot in right now because I don't know as deeply as I did last year. Yeah, I feel the same. As far as sort of other kinds of trends in my reading, I read a lot of crime this year, a lot of slow burn suspense, some true crime, but a lot of crime fiction. I read a lot of intense love stories that are not romances. And that's one of my micro genres I shared this summer. Voicey novels tend to do really well for me still. And this is a new trend, books that get meta about books. Yeah, that is a new trend. And I I like that too. I know I shared in the Superlatives episode, everyone in my family has killed someone as a great example of that. Yeah, but I read a couple others too. 
Are there any key stats from your reading this year that illuminate things you want to share? Well, overall, I'm on the same kind of course I was in 2022. I think I'm going to read about the same number of books. I read 154 last year, and I'm at 145 right now. And as I mentioned earlier, my historical fiction has gone up from 8% last year to 13% this year. But my literary fiction is down. I think that's in part because some of the really literary books I've been reading also fit into other categories like historical fiction or dystopian. That makes sense. So they're getting categorized differently. So the numbers are a little bit hard to track. My contemporary fiction reading was also down, but dystopian reading was up. And everything else is pretty similar to last year. Kind of the biggest change for me is the types of books I've been reading. My audiobook percentage is up from 36% last year to almost 40% of my reading this year. And that doesn't count the fact that this year I did five read listens, which I had never done before. So those were actually partially audiobooks too, which would make the audiobooks even higher. And because of that, and because I've also read more books in print, my ebook reading has dropped from 52% to 44%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I don't necessarily like that because it's much easier for me to read on my Kindle than it is to read in an actual book. Yeah. But sometimes the actual book is all I have. And then finally, my DNFs are up this year from 8% to 11% of my reading. So I have had some notable changes this year. Number one, my nonfiction is up by 20% from last year. And my audiobook listening is up 18% from last year. And that, since the only thing I listen to on audio is nonfiction, that makes sense that those two numbers would correlate. Yeah. My fiction is down 8% from last year. My brain candy is up 265% from last year. Oh my gosh, Sarah. (laughs) But I still had trouble finding a book to win that genre category. So I don't know that they were that successful for me. Yeah. Literary fiction, general nonfiction, meaning nonfiction that is not memoirs or essays. And memoirs and essays were all up this year. And contemporary fiction... Mysteries and thrillers and historical fiction were all down for me. And DNFs were actually down 25% for me, which is crazy because I usually DNF so many books. I only averaged at most one to two per month until the month of November when I DNF'd at least five, maybe more than five books. (laughs) Yeah, but are you giving yourself the freedom to have a sample and not count it as a DNF now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do do that. Yes. Okay, good. I made that change last year or the year before. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's get into our genre awards. We're going to start with literary fiction. Susie, tell me your pick. Well, throughout this, I'm going to have some choices that may not seem like they necessarily go with the category. So for literary fiction, I chose The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff. This book is historical fiction for sure, but it is a very literary historical fiction, which is why I'm talking about it here. This is a book that I was curious about, but I hadn't requested an ARC of it because the last couple books from Groff haven't worked for me. I decided to listen to it and I was completely blown away. This is one of my six. To me, this book was a marvel in that it just had one 
character, but somehow Groff built a big enough background and an exciting enough plot that it's a character that I won't forget about ever. I won't forget about her story. And of course, Groff's writing is beautiful, weaving together history, this girl's background, a little bit of magic, and a whole lot of determination. And as I mentioned, I listened to this one. The narrator, January Lavoie, was fantastic. It was one of those books where I literally just sat and listened to it for a couple hours at a time. And in the superlative show, I talked about that I had some audiobooks that I didn't put in the best audiobook category there because they were going to be here. And this is one of those. This is my number two audiobook this year. Oh, nice. Mine is Hello Beautiful by Ann Napolitano. I can't believe I almost didn't read this book. I did not like Dear Edward, her last book, and that's why I almost didn't read this book. But it ended up being one of my top books of the year, like one of two, so not just in my top 10. I loved how it combined a couple of my favorite genres, family drama and sports fiction. And I loved the range of emotions it made me feel, warmth, love, but also sadness. It reminded me a lot of my first love, The Heart's Invisible Furies, in that way. <laughs> <laughs> And this was an Oprah pick, and we learned from Sarah Landis in the State of the Industry episode that it sold really well. The Oprah bump helped a ton. So Hello Beautiful by Ann Napolitano. I loved that one, too. It was a great choice. All right. Ready for our patron results? Oh, yes. Okay. Susie, give me a guess what you think won this category. All right. Well, so I've had some time to think about it. I'm going to pick Hello Beautiful. And I have a second choice if that one's not it. What's your second choice? Tom Lake. Okay. You are right twice. <laughs> because Hello Beautiful and Tom Lake tied for first place. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. <laughs> With Yellow Face by R.F. Kwong, only one vote behind. And then The Rachel Incident and The Vaster Wilds are tied for third. Wellness by Nathan Hill at four. And Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese at five. Well, those are good choices. I've read them all except Covenant of Water. And I am not surprised at all by these results based on my Patreon community and what I've been seeing from them throughout the course of the year, right? Right. All right. Contemporary fiction. Susie, what's your pick? Well, I picked a book that just came up from the patrons in literary fiction. And I picked for contemporary fiction, Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Now, why did you put it in contemporary, not literary? Well, it could have gone in literary, but I was actually struggling a little bit with contemporary. And the reason I decided to put this into contemporary fiction is that this is a book that actually took place during the summer of 2020, during the heart of the COVID pandemic, which I feel very much makes it a contemporary story. So that was my little bit of a stretch to put it there. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I think this is a tough category, and I sort of wonder if we should even be doing it. I did not ask the patrons to vote on this because I'm like, who knows what people are going to define as contemporary versus literary, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it is a hard line. And I looked up like the definition of literary fiction to make sure that I had literary fiction, right? I didn't do the same with contemporary, though. I should have. Well, it's a judgment call, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of times it is. So back to Tom Lake in Contemporary here. Everybody knows what this book is about, so there's no need to go there. But what I loved the most in this book is that the main character, the mother in the story, she looked at COVID as a gift. 
she got to have her three grown daughters back in her home again. And I kind of loved that attitude towards it. And I know that there were other families that felt that the pandemic made them closer as a family. And that's exactly what you're getting in this story. And I also love that it's a really quiet, unexpected love story buried within the story that the mom is telling her daughters. And then, of course, there's Patchett's writing, which weaves together so many different people into one cohesive narrative, as she always does, and ties everything up really beautifully. So Tom Lake by Ann Patchett is my choice. And patrons didn't do this one, so I don't have to guess there. No, you don't have to guess. And we all know how I felt about the little bit of Tom Lake I tried to read. But I do want to tell you all that I might pick this back up again because of something I heard Roxana say on Currently Reading about how you just have to get past a certain point in the beginning where the story is set around the auditions for the play Our Town. And if you get past that point, the book kind of changes a little bit. So I am going to maybe try it again, but not for a little while. Yeah, I think you should, Sarah. And that part isn't really very long, so you get past it pretty fast. Yeah, I didn't make it far. (laughs) (laughs) You were in one of those really impatient phases, huh? (laughs) Yeah. My pick for this category is Adelaide by Genevieve Wheeler. This is an intense love story that's not a romance, so my number one micro genre from this summer's episode. And this story is about a couple in their mid to late 20s living in London And the guy in the couple is highly inconsistent. I think this book is highly relatable for women who dated in a big city in their 20s. And I did in New York City. You've either been in a situation like this or watched a friend go through it. I wish this book had existed when I was in my 20s. I would recommend it to my daughter when she gets to be that age. Maybe it will be a warning sign to not put up with these kinds of relationships, right? (laughs) It also goes in a really unexpected direction that I have not seen covered very much in fiction, and I cannot say what it is because it's a spoiler, but I was impressed with the unique angle this took. And I would compare this to Ghost by Dolly Alderton and Tell Me Lies by Carola Lovering, but like a less sociopathic and more serious version of Tell Me Lies. And that's Adelaide by Genevieve Wheeler. And I have to say, this is a pretty under-the-radar book, but it did make the finals for the Goodreads Choice Awards in the debut category. And it was a book of the month choice, so it got some recognition there. Yes. Now, by the time this episode comes out, we will already know who won the Goodreads Choice Awards. But when we're recording, we don't actually know that yet. Correct. All right. Brain candy. Susie, what's your pick? This one's always hard for me, too. (laughs) I picked No Two Persons by Erica Bauermeister. And the reason I picked it for this category is because this book throughout was a complete delight for me. I loved how the author wove together the stories of so many different people around a single book. Just that whole idea and premise was outstanding. And I loved how in each successive chapter... I became more and more invested, and I was always trying to guess how the next person would be linked to characters we'd already met in the story. And sometimes those links were big, and sometimes they were really small, but it was sort of like an Easter egg trying to find them. It also made me truly appreciate tightly connected short stories, something that I've previously had 
very bad luck with. So it made me feel differently about it and like, oh, I could try this again. This is something that might work for me in the right situation. So that's No Two Persons by Erica Bauermeister. I really like this one too. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, if you're going to read this one, I went in with expectations that were maybe a little bit off. I thought that all the people connected to the book were going to be people within the process of publishing the book, like the agent, the editor, the marketing people. And we did hit on some of those in the book, but that is not what this book is about. A lot of it is about how this book touched various readers. Yes. Not all, but a lot. A lot. And and touched them in different ways. And it was so interesting because remember there was one chapter where the person didn't even read the book. The book was in his home. <laughs> yeah. The book was sitting there on the table untouched. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a chapter. I actually thought that was kind of cool. It was. She did a great job with it. All right. I have kind of an offbeat pick for this one. Okay. I think this category is getting harder for us because so many brain candy books typically are romance or thriller. Yeah. And those are their own categories. Right. So it's like what's left in brain candy that's not a romance or a thriller. So my pick for this one is Spare by Prince Harry. (laughs) Oh, I think that's a good pick. It was fun. All right, good. I thought I might get some pushback on this, but we'll see. And though parts of this memoir are definitely heavy, I absolutely devoured it. And that's what I want out of my brain candy. It's a, I want a book that I'm going to just fly through and can't put down. And it's got all the juiciness you want in a celebrity memoir, but it's beautifully written by a top-notch ghostwriter, J.R. Moinger. And it revealed the heartbreaking secrets behind who Harry is. I thought it was an excellent memoir. I thought it was too. I definitely think it was too. Probably mostly due to JR. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but it shows how important a good ghostwriter is. Oh, absolutely. All right. That's Spare by Prince Harry. And Susie, what do you think our patrons chose? <sighs> wow. Well, I had trouble coming up with this one myself. So I'm going to guess Big Swiss or Romantic Comedy. Okay. I'm going to remove romantic comedy because that's a romance. Okay, but I thought some people might have put it here. They did not. Okay, then I'm going to go with Big Swiss. Didn't even make the list. (laughs) Okay, so what they chose as their number one was Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. And I read that and it was fine. And I know it got a lot of marketing buzz and a lot of marketing dollars, but I don't see that it's the book that should have gotten all this, right? It's a totally fine dysfunctional family drama. Yeah. Number two, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto, who has actually been on the podcast for a different book. And I kind of want to read this book now, Vera Wong. It was not on my radar. I mean, I knew it was out, but... I just this morning saw a review on Instagram that was five stars for that. Oh, nice. She writes kind of quirky, over-the-top suspense, but also family... And over the top in the way that The Hangover, the movie, is over the top. Uh Uh-huh. So number three is a tie between Bad Summer People by Emma Rosenblum and The Five Star Weekend by Ellen Hildebrand and The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue and The Sweet Spot by Amy Popel. Okay. I would never put The Rachel Incident in brain candy. Same. I would not either. (laughs) That was a serious book. Yeah. It got put in other categories too. 
don't worry. But it is interesting for me to see where patrons classify certain books. Yeah. This is one of the things that's interesting for me. So like The Rachel Incident got five votes for literary fiction, which is more votes than it got for Brain Candy. Also, I will say that this category in general, like not a lot of votes happened. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because it's it's hard to define. Yeah, I agree. All right. Mystery thriller. Lucy, what do you have for us? Okay. My mystery thriller is another historical fiction, and that is The River We Remember by William Kent Kruger. It's kind of what I talked about earlier in that sweet spot of historical fiction for me in the middle of the century, taking place in 1958. I really in theory, should not have loved this book because, number one, the main character is a sheriff in a small town, and I don't usually like law enforcement books. Number two, the rest of the story is populated by a whole load of other men. And number three, there's a complicated plot with a lot of intersecting lines. But despite all that, I loved it. That's because of the writing. It's because William Kent Kruger is a master storyteller. He can always be counted on to deliver a compelling, rich story, almost always set in middle America, usually at some point in the past and usually tying in some kind of mystery. And that's exactly what we got with The River We Remember. It was a great story, beautifully told, definitely my favorite mystery of the year. And this is more of a slow burn mystery thriller, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. My pick is a slow burn as well. But there's a lot going on in it too. It's, it, like I said, there's a big cast of characters. And that is The River We Remember by William Kent Kruger. I put this on hold at the library. Good. Catherine told me that she thought I would like it, even though, just like you said, it does not sound like something I would like on the surface. Yeah, I was surprised I liked it. I mean, I like his writing and I've read most of his books. So I knew I'd like, probably like what he wrote, but I liked it much more than I expected to like it. Right. All right. My pick is All That Is Mine I Carry With Me by William Landay. This was my pick for the worst book title of 2023 in the Superlatives episode. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I am very glad to be able to counter that pick with this positive one because it is a five-star book for me. It's one of my favorite books of the year. And I spoke with William on the podcast and he's lovely. This is a story about a wife and mother of three children who disappears in the 1970s and the family she leaves behind, including a defense attorney husband who people suspect is responsible for her disappearance. This is a slow burn, as I said, but I love a slow burn. Most of my best mysteries or thrillers are going to be slow burns. Through the years, this has been true. And I loved doing a spoiler discussion with Elizabeth Barnhill about this book when she and I got on to do the spoiler discussion, and this was available for my patrons. It became clear that Elizabeth and I had completely different interpretations of two key plot points in the book. Oh, that's interesting. Like, totally different. <laughs> and that was really fun to, like, figure out in real time as we were recording. Yeah. I think the reason that slow burn works so well for you, Sarah, is because the slow burns are the more literary yes. mystery and thrillers instead of the kind of silly over-the-top ones. Popcorn thrillers. Yeah. I totally agree. What do you think our patrons picked? Okay. I, I wrote down three things for my guesses here. The first one was, I have some questions for you. No. Not at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. How about The River We Remember? No. Happiness Falls? Yes. 
But not number one. Okay. I'm out of guesses. I don't read a lot of mystery and thrillers. So now, oh, well, maybe all that is mine I carry with me. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. And you know know why I didn't even really consider that one? Even though I knew knew you were going to do it because I didn't like that one very well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of other people did. I see that. (laughs) So I'm going to say that within my Patreon community, y'all also seem to like the slower burn variety of thrillers because most of these picks are slow burn. So tied for number one with all that is mine I carry with me is All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby, which I also loved. I just started listening to that yesterday. It's really good. And I would say that's a slower burn too. Yeah. I'm liking it so far, but I'm only like 45 minutes in. Yeah. So tied for number two is Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane and Drowning by T.J. Newman. And Drowning is the one exception to my slow burn. Yeah. I didn't think about Small Mercies. I should have thought about Small Mercies because I really liked that too. And number three, we have a tie for Happiness Falls and Strange Sally Diamond. And I wouldn't even put Strange Sally Diamond in this category, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Well, it's always up to interpretation. It is. It is. All right. Historical fiction. Susie, take it away. This is your favorite category. Okay. So my official historical fiction is In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. I've talked about this book a lot this year because you really don't find many books that are quite like this one. In terms of the historical aspect, I was amazed at all that I did not know about World War I, and it was eye-opening to read so much about it in this book. And I do appreciate when a book teaches me something, and then I also loved that the story was filled with humanity, loss, grief, the horrors of war, and, of course, the heart of the story, the quote, unquote, forbidden relationship of its two main characters, Gaunt and Elwood. I have not read it. I don't know that it's for me, but I know a lot of people loved it. All right. I'm really stretching the definition of historical fiction for my pick because I didn't read any historical fiction that I would actually award this to. Traditional historical fiction, I should say. So the book I'm going to share is partially historical in a criminal serial killer kind of way. And I did want to honor it in these awards because I loved it. So Bright Young Women by Jessica Knoll. This is the novel about Ted Bundy's FSU sorority house murders, which did happen in the 70s. There's my historical fiction part. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I said on the Fall Circle Back episode that after bumping my five-star rating down to four and a half stars because of some information I came across after I finished reading the book, that my heart did want to bump it back up to five. I am going to bump it back up to five. (laughs) And just sort of caveat, I note this other information, but in my heart of hearts, this was a five-star book. I loved the clever way she defanged Ted Bundy by not referring to him by name and by calling out the inaccurate media portrayal of him as smart, a cunning lawyer, and like the golden boy serial killer. And I think she did the whole change the focus to the victims trope that we're seeing a lot in crime fiction right now. I think she did this better than anyone else has done it before. Yeah. I I think she did a good job too. Why do you think our patrons chose? Well, I don't think they chose bright young women. (laughs) No, definitely not. They didn't stretch the definition of historical fiction quite as much as I did. So you will be happy to know that number one for historical fiction was In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. I loved that book. And 
it had a pretty decent margin of victory. Tied for number two is Beyond That the Sea by Laura Spence Ash, and another one that you loved, Go is a River by Shelley Reed. Oh, good. And then there's a tie for number three as well, The House is on Fire by Rachel Beanland, and The Postcard by Anne Barrest, which I know you also loved. I didn't think it was very widely read. Well, it was an Anne Bogle pick in her summer reading guide. So lots of people use that summer reading guide. So I think that's maybe how it got the readership. Right. All right. General nonfiction. So this is nonfiction that is not memoir or essay. Susie, what'd you pick? Okay. So I don't read a lot of general nonfiction. So when I find one that I give five stars to, you know it's a good one. And for me this year, the only general nonfiction that I gave five stars to was The Art Thief by Michael Finkel. This is a story about exactly what it's called, an art thief, who over the course of several years steals literally hundreds of pieces of art from small museums throughout Europe. I just loved the whole idea of this brazen thief who was taking things and getting away with it. His daringness was stunning. And the fact that everything that he and he had a partner that helped him on many of the capers. Everything they took was not to like sell or make money, but just for the love of art to have in their own apartment. Which is so strange. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> and I, I admire Finkel for finding a story like this and then tracking it down and telling that story. He's good at that. He's like, remember that book he wrote? The Stranger in the Woods. Yes. That was another one of those kind of weird under the radar stories. And the way he tells these stories is so compelling. It is. I love this one too. And funny enough, it is showing up on a lot of traditional media's best books of the year list, which that was unexpected for me. Yeah, that's good to hear. And it made the final round on the Goodreads Awards too, I noticed. Yes, I voted for it. I did too. So that's The Art Thief by Michael Finkel. All right. My pick is Generations by Jean Twingay. This was recommended to me by Elizabeth Barnhill way back in the beginning of the year. And I loved the true crime book In Light of All Darkness by Kim Cross, which was the Polly Class true crime story. But we just talked about that so much on the Circle Back episode that I wanted to share something different for this category today. And this was very close to In Light of All Darkness for me. So the subtitle of Generations kind of tells you all you need to know. It is the real differences between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and what they mean for America's future. Each generation gets a chapter, and it gives so much insight into so many topics, politics, parenting, mental health, social media. I feel like it sort of explains today's general world and the people that live in it, and I was fascinated. I listened to this on audio. That sounds like one I would really like. This is also a great gift book for dads, husbands, for the holidays. That's Generations by Jean Twingay. What do you think our patrons picked? And I will tell you that this category was very fragmented in the voting. There were tons of books that got only one vote each. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm likely to get one of those. Well, which means our winner did not have to have very many votes to win, right? 
Okay. And this is tough because I, I didn't read very many, but I actually, on a couple of these categories, I looked up on Amazon to see, you know, what books were in their 20 best in each category so I could get some titles, but I have read this one. So my, my first choice is going to be A Fever in the Heartland by Timothy Egan. Oh, that's a good pick. It is not the winner and it's not even on the list, but I do think that's a good guess. Okay. Well, my second choice is Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. No. Okay. Well then, then I'm doing terrible. (laughs) That's okay. All right. Our winner, but it's only four votes, by the way. We Were Once a Family by Roxana Ascarian, which I actually loved as well. And this was the story about the murder-suicide with the foster parents and kids that they fostered. Yeah. And then number two, In Light of All Darkness by Kim Cross, the polyclass true crime book. All right. Memoir essay. Susie, what's your pick? I picked You Could Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith. I picked this memoir because it really spoke to me. I loved the book for lots of reasons, but most of all because it was so personal. The book goes into the end of Smith's marriage, which was in part due to infidelity. And then it also goes into the aftermath. And her experiences had so much in common with my own that a lot of times I felt like she was talking directly to me. She is a poet, so I was a little nervous about that at first, but I turned out to really love her writing style. It was a bit lyrical at times, but that added to the overall atmosphere of her story. And I felt like she was really brave to lay open her life and what had happened. And I think the book can help other people who are going through the same kind of end of their marriage, I guess I would say. And I think writing it maybe was cathartic for her and reading it could be a little bit cathartic for others. So I very much appreciate Maggie Smith's book. You could make this place beautiful. I loved that one as well. And my pick for this one was my easiest pick of the day, The Many Lives of Mama Love by Laura Love Harden. This is the story of how Laura went from an overwhelmed suburban mom to opioid addict to serving jail time for 32 felonies to literary agent and co-writer to multiple famous people. So a huge story of redemption. It is sad. It is inspirational. And her writing style is so engaging. I just flew through this. I loved this one too. What do you think our patrons picked? I think that's what our patrons picked. Yes. And this was the second biggest landslide of the day. So number two was a tie between The Woman and Me by Britney Spears. And you can make this place beautiful, which you just talked about. Third place was a tie between All My Knotted Up Life by Beth Moore, which is sort of a religious memoir, and Spare by Prince Harry. And number four, How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key. Okay. Kind of surprised Brittany made it in here. I'm surprised Brittany was over Spare. I expected Spare to be higher. Yeah. I mean, I understand wanting to know the backstory of Brittany's life and all that. But as far as the quality of the memoir, I think Spare was of much higher quality than The Woman in Me. Yeah, I agree. All right. Romance. Susie. Oh, romance is hard. (laughs) Okay. So my choice might surprise some people. I also really liked your choice, but I'm going to go with a less traditional romance, and that is The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keene. Oh, I can, I like that. Good. I feel like this book didn't get the credit it was due because I think people were expecting something more like Ask Again, Yes. 
And this one was pretty different from that story, but I actually liked this book better than Ask Again, Yes. This is a romance that takes place over many years. It follows a couple from the time they meet, through marrying and establishing a life, through struggles with infertility, financial problems, and infidelity. Now, I know that doesn't necessarily sound like romance, but I think it was because it was a romance that covered the highs and lows. And for that, I gave this book four and a half stars. I would call this a love story, 100%. Just, you know, it's like a sadder one. Yeah, exactly. And and those are the kind of books that I like, those darker love stories. I liked this one too. So yeah, so for all of you who didn't read The Half Moon by Mary Beth Keene, you might want to add it to your list. All right. I think you can probably guess what my pick for this category is. Yeah, I think it's going to be romantic comedy. Yep, you're right. By Curtis Sittenfeld. She is not known for writing romance novels, but I think that's why I loved this one so much because she brought her more literary style to the romance genre. And she did a famous person civilian romance set on a Saturday Night Live-esque late night comedy sketch show. And her world building within the comedy sketch show was fantastic. I loved the look behind the scenes. It almost felt like she had worked in sketch comedy at some point. I don't know if she has or not, but I also loved how this story was about the intensity of creating with someone, which reminded me a little bit of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow in that way. Look, very different books, but touched on that same theme. So deeper themes and richer surroundings than your typical romance novel was what really made this successful for me. Well, see, that's true of both of our books in this category. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And I don't think you and I are ever going to pick the traditional Emily Henry winner for this category. (laughs) We're just not. That's not the readers we are. And that's fine. Yeah. Speaking of, what do you think our patrons picked? Well, I did pick the traditional Emily Henry because, (laughs) so that was one of my thoughts. So happy place. That's number two. Okay. And then I also thought that a lot would pick romantic comedy. That's number one. Okay. Fourth wing. Not in this category. Okay. Shark Heart? Nope. Okay. Then I'm done. Number three is Yours Truly by Abby Imenez. And I will say this was a very close category. 14 votes for romantic comedy, 10 for Happy Place, 9 for Yours Truly. Oh, wow. And Emily Henry won last year in a landslide. Right. So it's interesting to me that she did not win this year. And I will be interested to see, like, she's going to publish a book every year, I think, from now until the kingdom come. And maybe they're getting stale. Exactly. So I, w- I would like to see the point. Is this a point where they now start to become stale or does she maybe have a resurgence next year? Yeah, we'll see. All right. Dystopian and sci-fi. Susie. Okay. My choice for this category is The Memory of Animals by Claire Fuller. I loved this book. It follows one young woman who's abandoned with several others in a medical facility during a lethal global pandemic. There's so many reasons I love this book. One is that I've been into pandemic novels this year, reading quite a few of them, and this was by far my favorite of those that I read. It was an easy five-star read for me and probably my favorite Claire Fuller book. She is able to build a world in this book because she had to build a whole new world in not very many pages. And that world included both inside the medical facility and outside. 
And then there was just a touch of magical realism in the story. And I loved that aspect as well. The whole thing sort of transported me and scared me all at the same time. And it had like just the right amount of woo-woo to it. (laughs) So that is The Memory of Animals by Claire Fuller. I think a little bit of woo-woo is expected in the dystopian sci-fi category. I think so, definitely. My pick for this one is My Murder by Katie Williams. I have never read speculative slash sci-fi crime fiction before, and I loved this very unique mashup of genres. We have talked a lot about this book. Katie Williams came on the show this past summer. I loved how she asked interesting questions about motherhood, marriage, and the right type of murder victim that gets the general public motivated to fight back. And I think including topics like this in a sci-fi novel is what makes sci-fi appeal to me, a genre that normally is not my jam. And that's My Murder by Katie Williams. What do you think our patrons chose? Sharkheart? No, but I can see how one would make a case for it to be in this category. The Memory of Animals? Nope. The Great Transition? Nope. Camp Zero? Nope. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) Chain Gang All-Stars. Okay. And again, that's a book I DNF'd, so I sort of forget about those ones that didn't work for me. But it's kind of all over Best Books of the Year list. It was nominated for the National Book Award. Yes. Number two was My Murder. Oh. Number three, you're going to love. It was The Light Pirate by Lily Brooks Dalton, which actually came out in 2022, but at the very end of the year and too late to make it on last year's episode. Oh, well, I do like that. I do like that a lot, but I didn't even consider that. And then number four, Starter Villain by John Scalzi, which I know currently reading, I think it was Meredith on Currently Reading talked about. That's the book with the creepy cat on the cover. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Fantasy. Susie and I did not vote in fantasy because Neither one of us read any fantasy. Also, do we even need to guess who what won this category? Maybe the better question is by how much? <laughs> yeah, fourth wing, by how much? By 16 votes. So it's the biggest landslide. What do you think came in number two? I, I am so not into fantasy that it's... No, you should know this. Think Greek mythology. Oh, okay. So I wondered about that, Stone Blind. Yes, Okay. Good job. Congratulations to Stone Blind for even getting votes that it did when you have to go up against Fourth Wing. Way to go. (laughs) All right. Horror. Same deal. Susie and I did not vote in horror. We did not read any horror. What do you think our patrons picked? Or can you even guess what our patrons picked? Because you don't read this very much. (laughs) The only guess I have is Holly by Stephen King. No, but I have heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) So... Number one is Starling House by Alex Harrow, and Sarah Landis recommended this. I can't remember if it was one of her official best books of the year on her episode or if she just recommended it to me. She wants me to read it, though. She keeps trying to get me to try a fantasy that maybe I'll actually like. All right. Number two, Lone Women by Victor LaVale. And number three, How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. I'm actually kind of surprised that Grady Hendrix didn't come in number one. All right. Humor and satire. Do you have a pick for this, Susie? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. This is where I'm going to talk about Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. Oh, in humor. Interesting. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I'm going to be very upfront that a huge part of the reason I put this book in humor is that I listened to it. The author herself narrates this book 
And that normally makes me nervous, but in this one, I need not have worried. Sarcasm and humor are written into the story, and her voicing that sarcasm and humor was absolutely amazing. This is my number one audiobook of 2023. I think I would have loved it in print too, but maybe not quite as much. It retold the story of Perseus from the perspective of three women in his life. And it was just plain laugh out loud funny. By far, the funniest book I listened to this year, Easy Five Stars, one of my six. Awesome. What did you find the most funny or the most humorous? So I'm stretching the category. And this is the reason that I made the category humor slash satire. (laughs) <laughs> my pick falls squarely in the satire bucket and it is yellow face by rf kwong oh uh, yeah i could not put it down it is a book you will immediately need to talk to somebody about it goes behind the scenes of the publishing industry and calls out the industry for transgressions related to racism cultural appropriation and who gets to tell what stories in a very page turner package And the author, R.F. Kuang, has said this is a satire. She wrote it as a satire. I loved how deliciously bitchy the narrative voice is. She is highly unlikable, and some people will hate that. But I thought it was deliciously bitchy. Almost every character in the book is unlikable, so take note. (laughs) Yeah. And Catherine, Susie, and I did a three-person spoiler discussion for our patrons, which was really fun about this one. That is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. That's one of my favorite books of the year. And Susie, do you have a guess what our patrons might have chosen? It's not either of our picks because we sort of stretch the definition of humor. I'm going to guess Big Swiss. It is Congratulations, The Best is Over by R. Eric Thomas, which is an essay collection. Kind of cultural, commentary, humorous, I guess. I have not read it. All right, genre mashup. What do you have? For this one, I'm going to go with Go as a River by Shelley Reed. This was my first five-star book in 2023, and it had so many different elements to it, making it a true genre mashup. First of all, it's historical fiction taking place in the late 40s to the 70s, so that mid-century era. It was also a coming-of-age story following the main character from a confused 17-year-old until a grown woman living life on her own terms. There was a little bit of the mystery having to do with a couple of the characters, And then the writing itself was so stellar and it was character driven, making it also literary fiction. So I felt like it was a true genre mashup. I think it's one that got a lot of attention at first, but I haven't seen much lately on it. So I'd like to see it get a little bit more. That's Go as a River by Shelley Reed. All right. My pick for favorite genre mashup is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. I'm not even going to talk about this book because she came on the podcast so recently, right? I will just say that it is a mashup of family drama plus suspense, which I loved. And it turns out this book ended up being a lot more divisive than I expected it to be. I'm just going to share what our patrons picked because genre mashup is quite a open category to guess on, right? Right, right. So a tie for number one, I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay and Shark Heart by Emily Habeck. Oh, Shark Heart was my guess. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll give you retroactive credit for that. <laughs> number two was Yellow Face. And those are the only books that got enough votes to matter. A lot of this, a lot of the voting on this was very fragmented. Yeah. 
YA, I'm just going to share what our patrons picked because Susie and I, neither one of us read any YA that could win the award for us, right? <laughs> Correct. Number one was Warrior Girl Unearthed by Angeline Booley. And she is the author of Firekeeper's Daughter, which I actually did really like. So I might read Warrior Girl. I have to decide about that. And number two was Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. All right, debut. Susie, it's your favorite category. Okay. It, well, it is my favorite category. And this is, I'm going to just say that this is one of my favorite debuts of this year. It's Shark Heart by Emily Haybeck. And you cannot find a more creative, more out there novel this year than this one. Who thinks about having a man turn into a great white shark? Only Emily Haybeck would do that. And somehow she took that really, really bizarre out there premise of people transitioning into animals and almost made it feel normal, delivering like a completely original reading experience, easy five-star read for me. And I can't wait to see what this creative mind does next. I loved it too. All right. My pick for this is Talking at Night by Claire Daverly. This is another five-star addition to my intense love stories that definitely are not romances microgenre. This particular couple has real obstacles to overcome. And I would say this book is somewhat similar to Normal People by Sally Rooney, but less dark and with less of the millennial angst. It's 400 pages. It is character-driven, but I flew through it in like two and a half days. Yeah, I loved this one too. I would also say this is maybe a bit under the radar, but questionable at this point. That's Talking at Night by Claire Daverly. Susie, can you guess what our winners are here? My guesses were Talking at Night and Shark Heart. You got Shark Heart. The two we did. <laughs> Shark Heart tied with In Memoriam for the win. Oh, I'm so happy to see In Memoriam. I wrote In Memoriam down, but it was like my third or fourth choice here, so... Number two was Mame by Jessica George. Okay. And number three was Go as a River by Shelley Reed. Oh, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that. All right. We are going to share our top overall fiction pick and top overall nonfiction pick for the year. And these are books we've already talked about in the episode today. So we're just going to tell you what our number one winner is overall. So Susie, what is your number one fiction pick? My number one fiction pick this year is In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. The reason I picked this book is because when I finished it, which was on April 10th, I thought then this is going to be my best book of the year. And then I proceeded to have a huge months-long hangover about the book. And so I'm going to go with what I picked at the mid-year too, and that is In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. And there's the drawback of reading your favorite book of the year in the first half of the year. <laughs> And I also just want to add that this is a debut. So now you also know my number one debut. <laughs> yes, of course. So my number one fiction pick is Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. I realize I'm going for the divisive book and I do not care. Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano was my top pick for most of the year. And they were kind of neck and neck for the last few months after I read Happiness Falls. But I'm giving Happiness Falls the edge because it felt a bit more fresh and unique to me, even though I loved them both. So it gets the win. All right, Susie, what's your number one nonfiction pick? My number one nonfiction pick is The Art Thief by Michael Finkel. 
I like art and museums anyway. And so finding out from a journalistic point of view how he did all this was really amazing. And it's one I've recommended to a lot of people this year. So my favorite nonfiction is The Art Thief by Michael Finkel. And I think it is no surprise to everyone what my favorite nonfiction of the year is. It is The Many Lives of Mama Love by Laura Love Harden. I had a very easy time making this decision. Want to know what our patrons chose? For nonfiction or for fiction? Well, I'll go fiction first and then I'll go nonfiction. Can I guess? Yeah. My two guesses for fiction are Hello Beautiful and Tom Lake. Yes. They are one and two and only separated by one vote. Oh, good guessing. (laughs) Very good. Do you have a guess for three and four? The Rachel incident? No, I don't think you're going to guess this. Okay. Number three, Covenant of Water. Oh. And again, that's in a tight race within the top three. All these top three books are only separated by one vote each. And then number four is a tie between In Memoriam and Yellowface. Nice. I guess I'm going to have to read The Covenant of Water. I wish it wasn't so long. I am not going to read it now. I do want to go back and read Cutting for Stone, though, which I have not read. That is so good. I have it on hold at the library now. Oh, good. All right. Nonfiction. This is an easy guess. I think it's The Many Lives of Mama Love. Yes. But here is where your vote in the genre awards comes into play. A Fever in the Heartland by Timothy Egan is number two. Oh, okay. Interesting. And tied for three is Spare and You Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith. Well, I think those are all good choices. Good job, patrons. I do think those are all good choices. And I do want to share the MVP award for the year in our genre awards. It is The Many Lives of Mama Love by Laura Love Harden. The reason it is the MVP is because it won two categories with the biggest margins of victory. So it won Best Overall Nonfiction by five votes, and it won Best Memoir and Essays by 11 votes. And Hello Beautiful came in a close second. All right. That's great. All right. Happy 2023, everybody. Happy holidays. The December Superlatives episode for patrons will air at the end of the month, and it will include Susie's and my picks for categories like the best celebrity book clubs for us this year and our best mirror and window books of 2023. If you'd like to get this bonus episode plus others, you can support the show on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. Happy holidays, and Catherine and I will be back on January 10th with the winter 2024 book preview. Talk to you in the new year. Thanks so much for listening to Sarah's Bookshelves Live. You can find show notes with all the books mentioned in the episode, purchase links, and linked timestamps at sarahsbookshelves.com slash podcast. And that's Sarah with an H. You can also find me online at sarahsbookshelves.com, on Instagram at sarahsbookshelves, or via email at sarahsbookshelves at gmail.com.